in my opinion, the mistakes happen oftentimes because folks just don't appreciate how difficult it is and how serious the government is about getting every detail and getting it right. Welcome to Simply Trade, brought to you by Global Training Center. My name is Lalo, and together with my co-host, Andy, we have well over 60 years of combined trade, logistics, and supply chain experience. Along the way, we have seen and witnessed different challenges in trade compliance. We decided to put the show together and call on our friends and colleagues in the business to hang out with us and share their knowledge in all things trade. Thank you for spending some time with us. Enjoy the show. Recently, we've been talking about lots of um, like how to get the attention of your managers and your executive suite and all that kind of stuff so that they can listen to you on trade compliance. Michelle came to us with a really good um, idea on, on, on just pitfalls for, for export controls. I mean, things you don't I think like about. That too. Yeah, it's right. things you don't think about. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I think this is going to be a, a, a good episode in the sense that it's going to um, shed some light on things that we've normally may not think about or, or, huh, you know, why, you know, anyway, she, 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 I, I like the idea. So go ahead. The level of detailed knowledge, Michelle, uh, you have is phenomenal. And it's just like, and, and but you, you display, such grace and and wisdom when you're presenting things to people that I'm like it just in, I'm always in awe of you and I you're just one of my favorite folks that I love being around you but I also <laughs> love learning from you. Thank you. You're too kind, Andy. And I love presenting with you as well. You always have something really interesting to say. Um, some sort of an it's... observation from experience that we can put into motion. You know. Yeah. <laughs> So. Well, it's it's one of those where, you know, again, some of these topics are, it's so complex and you can lose somebody real quick. And if you can keep me up there with you, because you know me, I'm dumb as a box of rocks is what I always say. And I got to keep up with you. And if I can understand it, then hopefully the rest of the crowd cares because I'm like, you know, at that fourth grade level, you know. <laughs> <laughs> think you're at least you're i mean you're, you're ahead of fourth i'm sure you're ahead uh, of fourth. oh my god well listen okay awesome. i love your topic is uh this is going to be one for advanced export compliance so when we're saying advanced it's like you've got your basics with your um synchronizing your data if you will from your purchasing all the way through your compliance your 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 commodities are classified hopefully accurately and, and all those kinds of things that's your basic stuff uh, the information that you generate with your commercial invoice uh, some use letters uh, of instruction some use you know with your bill of lading you're even creating hopefully you have synchronized your data with your bill of lading regardless of mode of transportation uh, so synchronize the data with your bill of lading your commercial invoice and all the other data so that really all the information should be on your paperwork up front and that so a broker a transportation company really doesn't they should not have to go to a database if you are a computer to look up any information it's all it should be right there now okay that's said and that's yeah. a, that's easier said than done right yes <laughs> but 
as we get into more advanced topics in this is that now we're getting into some nitty-gritty things and there has been an upscale in export controls export uh, accountability if you will from the US government towards exporters uh, and importers that are doing some things in transit and, and whatnot all right so Michelle with the pitfalls, and again, I love the concept here, the pitfalls of uh, advanced export uh, compliance, is why don't you just start off with where, uh, in, in general, what you're gonna talk to us today about and uh, what these pitfalls are. Sure, so a as you know, Andy and Lalo, I'm an international trade attorney, which means I typically don't uh, get calls from companies that are doing everything correctly. In fact, I often get calls from companies that have made a mistake or potentially made a mistake. And so sometimes I feel like my whole uh, career is uh, problem solving and being a fixer for people's mistakes. Um, but with that said, I also find that companies tend to underestimate both the government as far as how strictly they will enforce and the complexity of export issues we have many cases where a company will call us up and they'll say we don't export but so and so told me to call you come to find <laughs> out we pull up their ace data they've been exporting millions and <laughs> you know they just didn't know that they met the definition of an export so there's there's a lot to consider with exports, and I, in my opinion, the mistakes happen oftentimes because folks just don't appreciate how difficult it is and how serious the government is about getting every detail and getting it right. Okay, let me, let me talk about it before we get too far into some details here, is that in general, um, as far as the level of accountability towards uh, the executive levels uh, that the government is looking at for you know uh, accountability, their, their own personal liability, as well as liability of the company, um, the, the executive levels, and I'm talking literally the CEO, chief operating officer, even the CFO, um, have some really, uh, they've got skin in the game in this, in that I've read recently uh, of, uh, you know, there was a company that was trying to do business and send some information uh, to Russia and China both, and uh, they got themselves into not only trouble with their from their company, but they themselves were brought up on criminal charges for the actions that their if you will, their company was trying to follow through on with a international transaction. Is that valid? Is that a, am I reading that correctly? That it comes into, this is what we're uh, under the umbrella of the advanced export compliance? Yes, absolutely. There are both criminal and civil penalties. And with criminal penalties, you are kind of looking at what you said at the C-level position. Someone who is in top management, they'll want to make an example out of them. So, for example, um, if you had a sanctions violation or the Russia one you mentioned, it could be 20 years in prison. Now that's scary. It, you, you didn't kill somebody, you didn't rob somebody, uh, but you 
did something shady with your export paperwork and that can really land a person in prison. Um, also, monetary penalties. Penalties can be up to a million dollars criminal, but even the civil penalties are now up around 330,000 per violation. And so the civil penalties are also high. You could make some errors that you don't think are a big deal and come to find out the government um, views them as a very big deal because export controls have to do with national security and regional stability and political issues. So um, a lot of stuff goes missed and then you end up with these serious penalties and violations. And in addition then you've got a scenario where not only are you personally on the hook for some of the penalties as well as the uh, possible criminal situation and all, but the company itself um, stands to lose its exporting privileges. Uh, and as such, I mean, if you have, let's say, 10, 20, 30% of your revenue is tied to export sales and you can't export anymore, um, that would be, you know, how would you like to be the executive of a company that goes back to the board and say, well, we kind of messed up here and yes, it's under my watch. And oh, by the way, we can no longer sell internationally um, and export the goods directly ourselves. We will have to go through somebody else. Yes, that could be, that, that could even sink a company, theoretically, if they don't get their act together. And we've seen that happen before. It's not the government's goal to cause trouble for companies and good business, but they will penalize. Um, and I think you reminded me, Andy, another thing that's really interesting about penalties and companies is they lose their reputation. At the BIS update conference, I don't know um, how many people went to that. Um, there were a lot of people there. Um, but this year, the Commerce Department announced that they were going to publicize administrative penalties. This is yes. the first time. So you get named and called out, named and shamed. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I, that's, that's just shocking to me from a PR perspective for companies. Well, and that all said is, here's something else. Let's take it another step further. We've talked about the executive levels here a little bit and, and whatnot. And again, we're going to get in it. There's a lot of good details that I like of the information that uh, you had sent in preparation here. But one of the things that we hadn't really hit on is the actual uh, compliance management. The, the, the person, the director, the manager, the compliance person that is employed by a company um, you know, if, they, if you're involved in a company that gets called out on the carpet, if you will, like this, I mean, your own personal reputation is going to go, you know, on the skids real quick. But the other thing is, is that what actions have you done as a compliance person to try and inform those above you and those around you. And the scenario there is it can be pretty serious for that particular person as well, would it not? If a person is in a compliance position and they either don't know um, very much about compliance or they don't care, that can result in huge penalties for a company. So, um, I mean, actually from a legal perspective, sometimes when we see 
really big mistakes or um, what they call systemic problems, the company will let go that person because the person wasn't paying attention. So right. it can be taken really seriously because it, in the end it costs money. Well, there's something <clears throat> that uh, I'll bring up towards the end of this as far as one of the things I like to do is we'll talk about the issues here and I want to get into the pitfalls. And at the end of this is that, you know, what is the key nugget of knowledge that we're going to, that somebody needs to take away from this? Well, some of these pitfalls are, are those nuggets that uh, they need to pay attention to. But then the other is at the end of this is kind of recap and say, what is the specific action that a compliance related person should be taking? The other thing is I want to be looking at and go, okay, what are the specific actions or questions that a C-suite level should be taking to say, okay, you, we've got your attention now. What are the questions they should be asking of their internal organization so that, hey, am I covered? Are we covered? Are, you know, those kinds of things. So we'll get into that in just a little bit here. So, all right, what's the uh, first pitfall here that we can talk about? So first pitfall, let's say uh, you're with a company that's about to buy another company. Mm-hmm. You probably have heard about successor liability. So with right. export controls, when you buy a company, you essentially buy their last five years of export activity. This is wow. really frightening in a way because when mergers and acquisitions happen, we have usually corporate counsel, maybe some litigators, um, maybe some uh, IP lawyers, but you're not going to often find that the trade lawyer is brought in until it's too late. So trade gets overlooked in mergers and acquisitions. And if you buy a company that has been exporting, or maybe they've been exporting and they didn't know it, the liability immediately becomes your baby. Um, so yeah, I. Go ahead, Andy. Well, to, well, I was just going to say, it's like, I have seen that situation. So again, for, for the audience, the mergers and acquisitions side of things, people are really, they're, they're, they're moving quickly. They're trying to make a deal come through. The, even those that uh, coordinate those mergers and acquisitions, as you said, the compliance side of the thing is usually not what uh, is not at the forefront. And so when people, uh, I would say, that are looking at that, when you're forming your you know, acquisition team or your merger team, uh, again, as you just said, there's the attorneys that are involved, there's, you know, they're contracting the thing, the, the, uh, the negotiations, the probably labor may be involved in some of this, and uh, the marketing efforts and things of that nature go through. At some point, there's going to be accounting usually as part of the team, so they're, they're uh, going in, and you even may have forensic accounting that's going in and say, you know, this is what was presented. Now, let's va- validate the information that's been presented in the merger. But uh, one of the key essentials is is that with the logistics, and I'm talking everything from, uh, from the warehousing, the transportation, but also important is the export and import compliance pieces of it, not only U.S., but also globally. So those need to be added to those merger and acquisition teams as people are assessing things. And I would make sure that the compliance of the 
the company that's being bought is participating along with the new the, the, the new owner, if you will, and their compliance team. Would you agree with that? Yes, I do. And it's it's kind of like the Commerce Department and the State Department and OFAC always say you have to have top-down support. So if you have key decision makers in a big business deal, they need to be focusing not only on the technical aspects of acquiring a company, they need to also look at, do I have liability here? Um, for example, we've had some companies that have found out the company they're buying is probably about, I'm gonna just say four to six million dollars deep in potential penalties. That company that's purchasing the other company would want to know that because that reduces the value of the company they're buying drastically. And um, I think without top-down support, we run into mistakes because the people at the top are guiding the transaction. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit before we move on to the next point is that that top-down support, you know, theoretically it's easy to say, you know, yes, the CEO or the CEO, but I would say when it comes to this element, the C-suite is generally going to be pushing for this merger or you know obviously they're making the deal they're involved in the deal more specifically of that top management that should be looking at this is where the transportation logistics and compliance roll up to whatever officer of that company is responsible for that and it may be two different um, uh, officers because a lot of times the compliance group is many times under the legal umbrella it could be under something else a lot of times the compliance are going it's like a stepchild i don't want it. you take it you take it all right but regardless whatever officers we're talking about top-down support it should be um whoever's responsible for that needs to step up on behalf of their organization would you agree i would agree completely um and and tossing it around that happens all the time we see departments say, I don't want it, I don't want it. Um, or what if a department wants it, but they're not qualified to have it? That happens too. Um, and, and you can bet that in an investigation of any kind, that a special agent would ask the question, what training have you had and what's your background? Uh, they'll call people and talk to them. And those folks may have no idea what an ACCN is, for example. And um, so it, it's really important that you have the right people and you have that top-down support centralized in some way yeah. with centralized records. Okay, what's our next point? So the next, next point is, um, this kind of spins off of the merger and acquisition question. Are you reading your agreements? The legal department in your company probably is reading them. Um, but they're reading them with an eye to making a good deal, um, limiting liability. Do we want an arbitration clause? Uh, what's going to be the jurisdiction? Do I have to go to London to litigate this or can I just stay here in Texas where I'm happy? Um, there are so many things that those lawyers have to look at so they don't necessarily have the time to look at contractual provisions that either protect a company or that harm a company. 
Okay, so before you go further, let me just find. So, so when you're saying reading the agreements, agreements of what? A international, like the sale, like a buyer-seller agreement, or are you talking about the agreement of the actual merger itself? Could be both. Um, typically, I end up reviewing what they call a master purchase agreement in an international mm -hmm. sale. And okay. the master purchase agreement, which they also call the MPA, tends to contain both buyer and seller side provisions. What the right. seller will do in that type of agreement is say, okay, if you buy us, you hold harmless. You hold us harmless for everything that, that we've done in the past five years. And of course, we certify that we've been compliant. Um, <laughs> The buyer on the Tr other hand. Trust me, no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No we're with it. No problem. We don't export, it's just Canada. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we hear this all the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, oh, it's Mexico. Does that count? Well, it's, yeah, still another yeah. country. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, we'll, we'll find that sellers will make representations and then buyers will make representations. So anytime that I'm involved in a merger or an acquisition, I have to first step back and say, okay, wait, first of all, who do I represent? Because if I represent the buyer, I'm going to rip up those sellers' representations. I'm going to make sure they're true. And I'm going to ask for sample records, sample export documents, and I'm going to audit. Um, whereas if I'm the seller, um, my main concern is, am I signing off on something that is a blatant lie? I don't know. I mean, the person signing the document probably has no idea um, whether a license was required for an export three years ago. So when you're the seller, you got to think about what you're signing. All right. To that extent, though, is that I think we need to separate a little bit of the agreement of the actual uh, of the actual acquisition slash merger is one thing that should be reviewed and read by every single team member uh, as appropriate I mean there, there's probably some things that can't be shared with everybody on that that's that's for the c-suite level I, I get but I would think that the acquisition uh, team should be reading the full contract it may be you know, it was like, oh my gosh, let's watch grass grow because this is so boring and then I'll fall asleep. <laughs> but yeah. you got to do it, right? Yeah. Versus now, the it, it would be a horrendous task, but it, and it could be delegated down, but it's uh, reading the sales or the, the purchase and sales agreements on your international transactions. That's, that's going to be a lot of those, especially, I mean, you're sourcing out goods, you're, you're selling goods, whatever. So I would think that that needs to be a separate category, but equally as important and has got to be reviewed for what you're looking for. And again, as you're going through those things, like you said, you got your seller uh, positions, you got your buyer positions and things of that nature that uh, I find vitally important. There's certain language that you should be including in those contracts that if you're a U.S. party and it's you know you're selling, it's uh, it's going to be crucial if you're dealing with a foreign entity to yeah. protect yourself. Definitely, and um, you can imagine somebody signs something or 
maybe you write you you write a provision that says I hereby certify that I have been compliant with all U.S. export laws and all U.S. export regulations for the past five years. Um, someone like me might come in and say, to the best of my knowledge and belief, um, because you want to do your due diligence and make sure that you haven't missed anything. But if something flew past me, I don't want to be held accountable for that. Well, let, let's look at it this way. The, the difference of what you just said is like, all right, I have been compliant for the last five years uh, for all U.S. laws and regulations on, on exports and whatnot. Okay, there's that. And then if there was an infraction that comes up, it's like, hey, what, wait a minute. Did you just lie to us? Or you could be brought up and say, wait a minute, you certified that y'all were compliant, and yet here we have a problem. Versus... You add that added language, you just said, to the best of my knowledge and ability. And there's like, you know what? I did not know about that. So it's, I'm sorry, I was not knowledgeable of that. I gave you a truthful statement versus another one that could be considered, you know, uh, I certify as correct and then it wasn't, and now I'm held liable for that. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot to think about in there because mm -hmm. uh, even if the government holds the buyer, liable and the government penalizes the buyer there are certain remedies you know the buyer could come back and sue the seller for breach of contract for lying in the contract so we have to look at the the whole lifespan of this if if three years down the road they have a special agent knocking at their door you can look back and see okay was this us or was this our predecessor okay so uh, let me throw this out that comes to mind would you think it would be wise for people in executive level positions, whether they're a, an executive with a customs brokerage firm, a logistics firm, a manufacturer, a distribu distribution firm or something like that, a buyer seller, whatever, you're gonna have contracts that somehow your company is, is engaging itself in international transactions or you may be facilitating the move and or entries thereof of your clients. Would you not think that as an executive or upper management of these said companies that it would be wise to go, you know what, we're not buying or selling any, or we're not buying a company, we're not being bought out, but let me go and just look at our own contracts just as a standard rule and say let me look at so many contracts a quarter or something mm -hmm. and just do a review and, and put your own team together would that not be a wise move or would that be like overkill no that would be wise even if you spot check there are things like distribution agreements um, there could be an agreement even an employment agreement what if you hire a foreign national and that person agrees that they don't need a license uh, maybe it turns out they did need a license and they didn't tell you the truth about uh, all their nationalities so there are a lot of nuances there and it, it can get tricky because there's certain but questions you don't want to ask and you but can't Joe's ask a good guy i mean it's just like he's really sweet i mean it's like no he, you know he told me he's good right and he's so smart <laughs> yeah <laughs> He's always really smart, and the company can't yeah. do without him. <laughs> so, but yeah. it holds you liable, though. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Any more on your second point here is reviewing these contracts? So, I think on my second point, I would just say also that um, this does apply to every type of organization. 
it doesn't matter if you're a university. We can look back a few years and find the J. Reese Roth case where that university professor actually went to jail for sharing information with students. So it doesn't matter if you're a university, doesn't matter if you're a nonprofit. Maybe you're saving the world. You still can't export stuff that might hurt the United States without a license anyway. Right. So right. Um, I think that's something that also gets missed. All right, everyone. Uh, sorry, uh, we ran out of time uh, for this segment. Uh, we are going to keep uh, recording here with, with Michelle and and have her back for the next segment or the next uh, uh, episode, which will be airing later this week. Um, thank you all for joining us, and uh, we really look forward to having you back and uh, finish this conversation with Michelle uh, regarding uh, the the uh, information she's provided for us. Thank you so much, and uh, we look forward to having you back. Thank you very much for joining us. Simply Trade is brought to you by the generous contributions of Global Training Center. You can follow the show and GTC on LinkedIn or Twitter and other social networks. Make sure you check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. Also, make sure you share this with a friend and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. We really like hearing from you. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest in the show or would like to sponsor Simply Trade or suggest any topic you would like for us to discuss, please contact us via email at simplytrade at Global Training Center or you can DM us on Twitter at SimplyTradePod. Thank you again for the privilege of your time. Happy trading. Simply Trade is not a law firm or an advisor. The topics and discussions conducted by Simply Trade hosts and guests should not be considered and is not intended to substitute legal advice. You should seek appropriate counsel for your own situations. These conversations and information are directed towards listeners in the United States for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be substituted for legal advice. No listener or viewer of this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel. Information on this podcast may not be up to date depending on the time of publishing and the time of viewership. The content of this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error free. The views expressed in or through this podcast are those of the individual speakers, not those of their respective employers or Global Training Center as a whole. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed.